the storm raised about them. The disciples were afraid. When the waves were high and the ship was tossed, they could not find their way. Then they awoke the master, saying, Lord, please save us now. He rebuked the wind and the sea grew calm, and they all wondered how. God sees a storm from the other side. He knows the lessons learned. And just beyond the clouds he sees clear skies. He speaks peace to the raging storm when peace could not be found. He already sees the rainbow when we see only clouds. Like the men on the sea did, I have called on God in prayer. When it seemed to me all hope was gone, and in my deep despair, I remembered what the Lord said when he calmed the troubled sea. And I know once more how he sees the storm and peace over me. God sees a storm from the other side. He knows the lessons learned, and just beyond the clouds he sees clear skies. He speaks peace to the raging storm when peace could not be found. He already something with you here in just a moment. I need to drop something off real quick. Hold on. Can I get these? (coughs) 
I thought it would be appropriate on this day, as we are having our baby dedication, to share this with you. Um, I'm going to find it here in a second. I've real high tech these days. <clears throat> there it is. All right. There it is. I got it. Okay. I, um, I'm going to be doing a couples retreat here this next weekend or something, and I've been trying to find some you know, things that would encourage folks. and <clears throat> So I thought I'd share this with you because I think it was quite appropriate again, like I say, on a baby dedication night. It's the evolution of a mother of three. And, um, you know, you know how parenthood changes, you know, as you, you know, each baby, things change. And here's just some ways that having a second and third child differ from having your first child. First of all, preparing for the birth. Your first baby, you practice breathing religiously. The second baby, well, you don't bother practicing because you remember the last time breathing didn't do a thing. <laughs> the third baby, you ask for an epidural in your eighth month. <clears throat> With your first baby, you pre-wash the newborn's clothes, you color coordinate them, you fold them neatly in the baby's little bureau. Your second baby, you check to make sure that the clothes are clean and Discard only the ones with the darkest stains. The third baby, boys can wear pink, can't they? With your first baby, at the first sign of distress, a whimper, a frown, you, you, you pick up the baby. The second baby, you, you pick up the baby when her wails uh, threaten to wake your firstborn. With the third baby... You teach your three-year-old to rewind the mechanical swing. <laughs> With your first baby, if the pacifier falls on the floor, you put it away until you can go home and wash and boil it. Your second baby, well, when the pacifier falls on the floor, you, you squirt it off with some juice for the baby's bottle. And, of course, with your third baby, you, you wipe it off with your shirt and pop it back in. <laughs> With your first baby, you change your baby's diaper every hour, you know, whether it needs it or not. Your second baby, you change their diaper every two or three hours if needed. With your third baby, you try to change their diaper before others start complaining about the smell and <laughs> before you see it sagging to their knees. <laughs> With your first baby, you take your infant to baby gymnastics, baby swing, and baby story hour. Your second baby, you take your infant to baby gymnastics. Your third baby, you take your infant to the supermarket and to the dry cleaner. <laughs> with your first baby, the first time you leave your baby with a sitter, you call home five times. The second baby, well, just before you walk out the door, you remember to, you remember to leave the number where you can be reached. With the third baby... You leave instructions for the sitter to call only if she sees blood. <laughs> With your first baby, you spend a good bit of every day just gazing at the baby. The second baby, you spend a, a bit of every day watching to be sure your older, children, older child isn't squeezing, poking, or hitting the baby. With the third baby, you spend a little bit of every day hiding from the children. 
Those are just some things that are a little bit different as you move along. Here you go, Sherry. <laughs> just a few things a little bit different as you move along in your child development and so forth. And uh, I thought I would share those with you. I found them to be rather humorous as well. I know for me it was very difficult as the, each child came and much greater load of responsibility on me. So... <laughs> If you know anything about me, you know that that wasn't an issue at all. But nonetheless, Genesis chapter 18, Genesis chapter 18, I wasn't a traditional father like today. I was a traditional father from yesterday. Some of you have no clue what I just meant and said, but it used to be different than it is today, folks. And it seems like we all turned out okay. Nonetheless, Genesis chapter 18, beginning verse 1, I decided to change the message today. I put something together a long time ago. I have had four messages that that I, you know, I don't know uh, that just, you know, things come to you. The Lord just kind of puts a little thought on my mind and then I have to study the word and I kind of try to dig it out. But um, the other night on Wednesday night or was it Sunday night, last Sunday night when I spoke on um, you know, uh, don't look now, but you got egg on your face book. Um, that was one of those messages. Well, this is another one. This is another one of those messages. Genesis chapter 18, beginning in verse one, <clears throat> we read, and the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat on the tent in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes and looked and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. Let a little water, I pray you, and fetch, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will fetch a morsel of bread, and comfort ye your hearts. After that ye shall pass on. For therefore are ye come to your servant. And they said, So do, as thou hast said. And Abraham hastened into the tent unto Sarah, and said, Make ready quickly three measures of fine meal, kneaded, and make cakes upon the hearth. And Abraham ran into the herd and fetched the calf tender and good and gave it unto the young man, and he hasted to dress it. He took butter and milk and the calf which he had dressed and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree, and they did eat. And they said unto him, <clears throat> Where is Sarah thy wife? He said, Behold, in the tent. He said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life, and lo, excuse me, um, and he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life, and lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said unto Abram, Abraham, wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Then Sarah denied, saying, I laugh not, for she was afraid. And he said, Nay, but thou didst laugh. It's interesting. You know, it doesn't matter how much we deny things before God. He knows the truth. And the men rose up. And by the way, maybe she didn't laugh aloud like we understand laughter. 
And she thought, well, I'll, I'm not really lying. But she laughed. He knew it. He knows our heart, not just how it sounds to us or how it appears to us. He's not into technicalities. He just simply knows the truth. Nonetheless, and Sarah denied, saying, I laugh not, for she was afraid, so forth, so on. Verse 17, and the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham the thing? Oh, wait, excuse me, verse 16. And the men rose up from thence and looked toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abram that thing which I do? seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abram, Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. Now I want to focus our attention tonight on verse 19. When the Lord says to him, and again, remember, three of these men show up. One of them is the Lord. And I don't have time to go into all that. But nonetheless, here the Lord is before Abram, and he says, for, he says, for I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord and do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. What we find here is that God believed Abraham would command his children and his household after him. And that's something. He said, I know him. I know something about this guy. Shall I withhold this information? Shall I not tell him the truth? Listen, I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him. They shall keep the way of the Lord and do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abram that which he has spoken of him. Command means to bid, to order, to direct, to charge. It's implying that there's authority, that there's power to control, that, that there's an aspect of requiring obedience. Again, he's, he's, he says, I believe, I am confident, I, I know him, that he will bid his children and his household, that he will order them, direct them to charge his household and his children. I know him. And I think it's an interesting, it's some interesting wording. I may have it mixed up. I don't know. But I know him that he will command his children and his household after him. Now, I don't know. There's kind of a play on words there a little bit. I feel like after him. Is it after him as in after he's gone, he'll still command them? Or is it after him the way he commands himself? I wonder. I mean, it couldn't be that God knew Abraham because he knew Abraham's character and he knew how he was disciplined and how he was devoted himself. And he thought to himself, he's going to command his children the way he commands himself. He's going to require the same thing from them that he requires of himself. Isn't that interesting? There may be something to that. God was confident that Abraham's leadership would lead his children in the way of the Lord. He was confident that his leadership would compel them to do justice and judgment. Our homes are in dire need of direction 
order and obedience today. I wonder if, if we came face to face with the Lord like Abraham did. Would he have the same confidence in our ability to command our children and our household? Would he be able to say of you and I, I know him. And I can trust him with this information. I can trust him with anything. Because this man right here will command his children and his household after him. And they shall keep the way of the Lord and do justice and judgment. Could he say that of you and I today? We are in desperate need of that kind of order and obedience today. We need that in our homes. So tonight, I want to look at a couple maybe practical steps or share some practical steps of how we can take command of our children and our households and do it well. What are some ways that, that we can command our children and households well? So I'm going to give you some suggestions tonight. I think they're biblical. I think we'll note that as we move along. But just a simple message, commanding our children and households. Let's go ahead and consider that. And we'll see how far we get along on this one tonight, too. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we come to you thanking you again, Lord, for the time that we have together. And Lord, in this short time that we do have left tonight, may, Father, whatever is said and done, Father, honor and glorify you. Father, not a person that is here tonight is here without an expectation of getting something from you. At least I trust that's the case. I believe that, at least, Lord, tonight. And I, I ask, Lord, that they would receive what you have for them. And God, I pray that I wouldn't get in the way, that, Lord, I would just simply be a mouthpiece tonight. Lord, may you fill me with your spirit, and may I simply be, Father, just a conduit tonight to take that which you've given and pass it on to those that need it. I know, Lord, in my own life, Father, I have had to deal with these areas of my, uh, my home and my family. And Lord, I know that they're a constant and continual issue. I pray, Lord, that you just help us now, Lord, to be aware of some areas that need commanding and direction and order. Lord, help us to command our children and our households well. And Lord, especially tonight for the men tonight that are here. Lord, how we lack male leadership today. Lord, we need men to step up and be the leaders of their home. Not, not dictators in the sense that they're trying to crush with authoritarian type style leadership. But sometimes we need authoritarian type in the sense that we need somebody to stand up and say, it's time to draw a line. Somebody's got to take responsibility and it's me. And I'm going to stand up and I'm going to draw some lines and I'm going to do what's necessary and needful to command and direct my family and my household. I want to protect them and help them and, Father, prosper this place. To do, Father, what they do with a heart of love and compassion and a desire to see each and every person in their home be the best they can possibly be for you. And Father, for every mom and grandma and grandma here, a grandpa here, we, Father, still need, Father, to keep these thoughts in mind as we can help others or possibly implement them in our own homes. Father, be glorified in what's said and done tonight. And we'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. So we start talking about commanding our children and our households. Abraham was a man that God said he was confident that he would do just that. I want to be a kind of man. I wanted to be that man. I still want to be that man. I hope you do. And, and as a lady and you have children and a household, I think it's important that you realize there's an element still there that you have to command some things. 
Your husband's not always there. Sometimes you have to step up. Sometimes you have to deal with things and interject yourself and your leadership and into the lives of your children and your family. I mean, there's not ever a time where any of us aren't really out front somewhere, somehow, in front of somebody. We're all leaders to some degree. As believers, we're leaders. People are watching us. Obviously, this is probably more directed toward the fellas, of course. But there's no doubt that in many households today, there's not a godly man or influence. And there needs to be a godly woman. There needs to be influence, spiritual influence. So however it lays or however it lies or whatever, whatever way that it applies, then so be it. Let's let it apply. But let me give you just some things or ways, I believe, practical steps to command our children and our households well. Number one, to require all in your home to attend the house of God and participate as you do. That's important. We need to require all in our home to attend the house of God and participate as we do. In Joshua chapter 24, take your Bible, look there, would you please? Now we're not talking about, you've got to understand, we always have to make sure we understand the perspective, the, the position that we're taking. We're not talking about a worldview that is based on the world's philosophy. We're talking about a worldview here that's based on the Bible, a biblical worldview. And with that said then everything that we're going to say has to align itself with the Word of God. It doesn't matter how you grew up. And it doesn't matter how you, what you think is best. It doesn't matter whether someone else says, this isn't, I do it this way and it works well for me and my family. Whether or not it works for you, doesn't matter. It, what, whatever works for you is all that matters. No, that's not right at all. That is not truth. No, God has a biblical way to handle things and to deal with things. And if we do it His way, we'll have the result that God wants for us. And so we're looking at this from a biblical worldview, not a world worldview, or a secular worldview. One, require all in your home to attend the house of God and participate as you do. In Joshua 24, 15, we understand that, that Joshua is speaking. And he goes on to say, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom... Ye will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell, but as for me and my house. There's a man who is commanding his children and his household now. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know what he just said to me? We're going to be worshiping God together as a family. We're going to be serving God together as a family. We're going to do this thing together as a family. Last time I checked, families, for the most part, are under one roof. Therefore, all those that are under my roof, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That means that we're going to attend the house of God and we're going to participate together, even as I do. If I participate, you're going to participate. If it's good enough for me to serve God in this place, I promise you, you will too. Because as for me and my house, we serve the Lord. If I'm going to work a bus in the bus ministry, my kids are on a bus with me. 
If I'm going to go out soul winning, my kids are going to learn how to go out soul winning and visitation. They're going to be doing what I do. I don't feel sorry for them because they have to be at church so much. It doesn't bother me a bit because it's working well for me in my house. It's going to work well for them in theirs one day. I'm just saying sometimes I think we feel sorry for our children as though we're somehow, you know, beating them overhead with the Bible. I want them to ultimately, we'll get mad at somebody that says, well, I think we leave it up to the children to decide whether or not they want to serve God or not, or whether or not they want to go to church or not. And we say, that's wrong. That's, in, that's just insane. How can a child make that decision? A child doesn't know any better. You can't expect a child to determine whether or not they're going to serve God or go to church or even take a bath, let alone, you know, determine what their future is for God. Well, let me tell you something. We Baptists aren't any better often. We turn around and say things like, I feel so sorry for those kids. We don't celebrate this holiday we don't do this the way that we used to and they miss out on this and they miss out on that and I feel so sorry for my kids because they haven't had an opportunity to enjoy some of the sin that I got to require them to be in church all the time and it's just so difficult and I know that they don't really like being on the buses all afternoon it's so difficult for them who cares teach them a little character you know what attitude they're going to draw from more than anybody else's? Yours. So if they got a stinking attitude, guess where they picked it up? I'm sorry. I'm just preaching now. Require all in your home to attend the house of God and participate as you do. I'm going to tell you something. I think Abraham expected his children to worship God the way he did. I don't think he set, went down and got on his knees before God in that altar and said, Well, kids, you know, whether or not you and your mama want to get involved or not, that's okay. That's your business. No, I don't think so. He said, we're going. And by the way, gentlemen, if you're that man that's commanding your house well, and you say, Well, my wife's not supportive of that, bring your kids without her then. Get your kids in God's house where they belong. Don't leave them home with mom to sit and watch soap operas and television all night when they ought to be in God's house. You say, well, I can't make her let me take the kids. Well, then obviously you ain't commanding anything. You don't have to be mean about it. Just say, honey, you got the night off. I'm taking the kids to church. Oh, really? Thanks. I don't think it'd be that hard. She'd probably like it. Give her five bucks and tell her to go get a Happy Meal or something. <clears throat> but in me and my house, we're going to the house. I can't make you do it, honey, because you're an adult. You're going to make your own decision. I can't force you to go to church and to love the Lord that I love. But what I can tell you is my children will because that's for me and my house. The best I can. I, I don't believe you need to, you know, you can't make an adult do anything. And, you, and, and by the way, you say, well, what about older children that are adults? Well, if they're in your house, then I guess what? then I guess they either comply and follow, or they... I'm sorry, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Require all in your home to attend the house of God and participate as you do. That's called commanding your children and household well. Number two, preacher, we love this stuff. This is awesome. I know it is. It's exciting. Number two, schedule time to elevate Christ in the home through family time around the Word. If, I mean, you want to command your children and household well? Then schedule time to elevate Christ, to magnify, exalt Christ in the home through family time around the Word. Someone says, are you talking about family devotions? Call it whatever you want. But one way or another, you need to spend time with your family as the household leader, whether it's a wife a single mom, whether it, it, a wife that's, whose husband's away for the next two months, three months, or whatever, whether it's a, a, a wife 
that the husband walked out on her and she's stuck with the kids by herself. It's a dad without a wife and he's just got his kids by himself. Or if it's a couple that's doing great. I don't care what the circumstance, what the dynamic of the home is. Somebody's got to, as the Bible says here, command and the house and the children well. So what do you do? You elevate Christ. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 through 9. If, if all we do is bring our children to church and we say, see how important God is to us? We teach our children he's only important at church. But he isn't just important at church, is he? In your life, he's important every day, I think. And the fact is, is it ought to be that way. And how your children figure that out? How do they learn that? When you place him right there in front of them, on a consistent basis. Hey, listen, I understand. Maybe you can't do this every single day. But let me tell you, you ought to have a schedule. I don't care if it's twice a week, three times a week, five times a week, every day. I don't care. But you need a time as a family, scheduled time, to elevate Christ in your home before your family. Joshua, excuse me, Deuteronomy 6, 6-9. And these words, which I command thee this day, shall be in thine heart. Now, they ought to be in your heart already. I hope they are. Because if you're saved, they should be there already in the sense that at least He lives in you and He's the Word. But yet, we know we have to cultivate that relationship and we have to cultivate the Word of God in our life. But, and thou shalt, those things that ought to be in us as adults, especially those that are commanding our households, and the, thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as fauntlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. We don't have time to break that all down and to express the biblical significance of each and every one of those, but may I say it's pretty obvious to me at least that within the context of the home, there is to to be the word of God elevated, the word of God to be elevated, the word of God to be elevated in our homes. And, and the Bible says it over in the book of John chapter 5 verse 39, he says, search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life and they are they which testify, testify of me. Therefore, when you're getting elevating this book in your home and before your children and your family, you are elevating Jesus Christ. You need to choose a time, a place, and you need to have a purpose for your family gathering. I mean, what do you really want to accomplish with the time that you spend together? It's interesting, isn't it? And, and I'm not trying to be—I'm not trying to be rude tonight, and I'm not trying to be, you know, you know, a shock jock type thing. I, I, that's not the issue. But let's let's just get down to the nitty gritty. Most people, and I've talked to a lot of people in the church. And through the years, I've heard things like, we have a movie night. Friday night's our movie night. And we get pizza, and we get pop, or we get drinks, and we sit around and watch a movie as a family, and we have a movie night. Okay, that's fine. I, I've, done that. I've done a lot of that stuff for years. We'd find a nice, a good show, at least what I considered a decent show, a good show. Maybe in heaven one day God will tell me those weren't good either. I don't know. 
But what I did, trying to be wise in what we show our kids or allow them to see. And honestly, like I told you, if my kids can't watch it, guess what? I shouldn't probably watch it either. Because I'm just a child of God. But nonetheless, we're watching this show and we're eating our pizza, which is the highlight of the week, in my opinion. (laughs) Eating some pizza. I love pizza. Matter of fact, I'm going home tonight and I'm going to cook up a Chicago pizza that someone brought for me from Chicago. And it's going to be heated up. And it's one of those deep, deep Chicago pizzas. And I'm going to enjoy it. And because it is. Valentine's Day, my wife can have a piece of that pizza. And so, that's right, I'm very, very grateful for her love in my life, and I'm going to share tonight that pizza. Now, listen, so there's nothing wrong, I don't see anything wrong with all of that, I I do, I have no problem with that, but hold on a second. We start talking about getting together as a family for a purpose. Now... Why is it that we can find time for that kind of family time? But we don't find time for this kind. Do you realize that in order to to effectively transfer the word of God in the life of your child, it doesn't take necessarily two hours in this book gathered around it? Do you realize that probably, you know, it doesn't even take half that time? Do you realize that if you would consistently be in this book and have time with your family, you may only have to meet for 10, 15, 20 minutes at a time? Do you realize you, you can effectively influence your children and help elevate Christ? And, and I'm not saying you can't do things longer. That's your business. I'm telling you that you don't have to have this idea that, well, we're gonna, if we're going to get together, we've got to schedule a whole hour in order to get around the Word of God. I'm going to have to read like 10 chapters of the kids because I don't have a clue what to tell them. No, you don't have to do that. Sometimes it's as simple as just read the Word of God and just say, you know what? What this? You're, you're 12 years old, you're 11 years old, you're 10 years old. What did that say to you? I mean, I'm, I'm just telling you, we make it too complicated. Did you got any books that we can use, preacher? You got any, you know, yeah, I, I think that's good. Get some tools, that's fine. Be creative and try to find ways to make it interesting for your children. But do you know the best thing that makes it creative for our kids is when they are involved in it. When we're not lecturing them all the time. We're not just talking to them continually. When we let them respond, we give them opportunity to talk. And I tell you the honest truth is a lot of times they don't want to anyway. I remember for years I had this, this thing going where I would say, all right, anybody have anything they want to say? Any questions? Anything? And somebody would go, I'd go, yes. They'd go, I, I was scratching my face, Dad. Oh, I thought you were asking a question or one to comment. No, we would do, I mean, just, I'm just saying, you can, yes, you can make it as elaborate as you choose. You can make it as creative as possible. And I encourage you to do that. Spend time. Realize there's a purpose for getting together. What is it that you want to accomplish this week? What do you want to accomplish this month? Excuse me. But here's the thing. If it's to honor God if it's going to instill a devotion toward God, if it's going to increase a spiritual discipline in their life, then it is so important that you do it consistently. That's, that's all. I mean, we're trying to instill this attitude of Christ is elevated. So it's, it may be at times inconvenient, but that's okay because 
He's more important than that to us. He's worth being inconvenienced. And sometimes dad can't be there. Or maybe mom couldn't be there because their dad had to work late. Or he's put he's out of town or mom's on a trip or something's going on. I don't know, but we still have it with whomever is there. See, it's not a perfect world we live in. So guess what aren't perfect either? Devotions. Everybody doesn't get... Well, Johnny's sick today. Well, if Johnny is so sick he can't sit up and be a part of this, or he's coughing so much that he'll distract us, then Johnny's allowed to lay down. He doesn't have to sit at the table or sit around the, car, around the circle on the carpet or be in the living room together with his Bible open. Johnny can just crash out. And if he falls asleep because he's that sick, who cares? Everybody knows Johnny's sick. I'm just saying we, we act like, well, Johnny can't do it today, and he's one of two of our kids, and so if we can't do it as a family, we might as well not. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Get Kidding, kid. Okay, but anyway. Um, so schedule time to elevate Christ in the home through family time around the Word of God. See, family devotions reinforce God's place in the home. And if done consistently and, cons- and conscientiously, they'll put him at the center of your home. And that's what you want. You want your kids to know that Christ is really the most important entity here. Daddy's awesome, and my kids had an awesome daddy. <laughs> you don't believe that? But, and, and, and mama's wonderful, and they had a wonderful mom. But let me tell you something. More important than that, I wanted my kids to know... When it comes down to it, daddy may be, quote, head of the home, but God's in charge. I want him to know that. I want him to know that God's pulling the strings. He's really the one that's in charge of everything taking place here. Daddy may utilize the word to direct this home, and mom may support that and continue to direct it as well when dad's absent. But the fact is, is that God's on the throne at the home. And that's important. They need to know that. And family devotions have a tendency to do that. They help to do that. So if we're going to direct and we're going to command our homes well, I think it's important that we require all in our home to attend the house of God and participate as we do. That we schedule time to elevate Christ in the home through family time around the Word. I don't even want to get started on this one. Yeah, we can use five more minutes or so. Number three, I'll give you this one just as the last one, and then we'll pick up some maybe next week. Number three, if we're going to command our home and household well, we need to protect our home and family from evil influences. We need to protect our home and family from evil influences. Look at Ezekiel chapter 3. Ezekiel chapter 3. I know we utilize this passage in soul winning, and understandably so. I understand that it's in the Old Testament. So you don't have to tell me to rightly divide the word. I understand that. But I do think there's a principle here that we can see in this passage. Again, we understand that every passage has a historical value. A doctrinal and inspirational. We understand that. This is going to be inspirational, okay? Notice what it says in Ezekiel chapter 3. Beginning in verse 17. Again, Israel's being addressed and dealt with. And God is speaking to his prophet, and he says, Son of man, I've made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore hear the word at my mouth, and give them warning from me. When I say unto the wicked, Thou shalt surely die, 
And thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked ways, to save his life. The same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Yet if thou warn the wicked, and he turn not from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. Again, when a righteous man doth turn from his righteousness and commit iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Because thou hast not given him warning, he shall die in his sin, and his righteousness which he hath done, and, the, and his righteousness which he hath done shall not be remembered, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Nevertheless, if thou wilt warn the righteous man, and the righteous sin not, and he doth not sin, he shall surely live, because he is warned. Also, thou hast delivered thy soul. Now, in this particular case, we have a prophet who's being told to speak truth and to warn the people of God about their iniquity and their sin. And he's saying that he's responsible to be a watchman on the wall to protect them from the enemy and from the harm that can come from outside intruders. I want you now to look, if you would, over at the book of Hebrews, chapter 13. Notice verse 17. So we have the prophets in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament. Notice what we have in the New Testament here. In chapter 13, verse 17. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. It's talking about pastor. For they watch for your what? Notice what they're doing. They're watchmen. What does that mean to watch for your souls? As they that must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Don't you get the impression that they're once again being uh, enlisted by God and instructed by God to once again stand on that wall and to protect the house of God, the people of God, the church of God? Do you get that idea that, that it almost feels like it almost? It's, a, it's just like it's a kind of a recap of Ezekiel chapter 3. Instead of for the prophet in Israel now, it's for the pastor in the church. I'm writing this as we go. But then I want you to understand something. If that's the case, who's supposed to be the watchman of the home then? It's not the priest. It's not even the pastor, really. It's the parent. Do you get that? That's not hard to understand. I mean, the fact is, is that still today, no matter what we, how we want to try to boil it down or, or, or make it, you know, uh, you know, say it, the fact is, is that today parents have to be very careful that they don't allow their children to be influenced with evil. And as a, as a head of home, if you will, as say a, a husband today in this place, if you're, going to, if you're going to command your children and household well, then, then may I say that you are responsible, not just for your children, but for what comes in the home and how it will affect your wife too. Now again, I understand this isn't popular because this isn't, as I said, the worldview from secular worldview. We're talking about a biblical worldview now. Now, I, I, listen, I don't, I'm not one of these guys 
that, that, that feels like, well, that, you know, I'm the head of the house. You do what I tell you. And if you don't do what I tell you. <coughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to ruin the stage. Uh, it's creaking again. No, I'm teasing. But anyway, I'm, I'm not one of those guys. And some people may think I am. I, I mean, sometimes there's people, around, you know, oh, you don't want to go to that church. You know, he's an authoritarian and, you know, he thinks he really runs the church and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, well, if I'm the pastor of the church, I ought to be ruling. That's what the Bible said. That's not what I said. <laughs> I mean, the Bible said that, remember? So, so that's important. I need to be overseeing things. I need, to have, I need to be hands-on. I need to know what's taking place. And I need to be very careful that I, we don't allow influences into this building and into this church that are going to hurt and harm the children of God, the people of God. The flock is very, very delicate. And you know who's delicate in your home? Your children. And may I say this? The weaker vessel the Bible calls her. Your wife. I'm not saying she's not intelligent. I'm not saying that she's not extremely talented. I'm not saying that she may not be able to run the books better than you and handle problems sometimes maybe a little bit more efficiently and effectively than you. I'm just talking about the simple fact that God expects you as the head of your home to rule your household and to be careful to protect your household, including all those under that roof, not just your wife, and not, not just your children, but your wife and anyone else that's there. Man, I'm going to tell you something. If I'm in that household, and i got my parents living with me, and it's my house, then I'm going to protect them if there's things coming into that house that are wrong. This is my home. And I need to make sure it is a place where God can be elevated. I don't want anyone or anything taking the hand of God off my life and off of my, my, my home, my family. Yes, and if there's something that's going to be negatively affecting my mother or father that's living with me in that home, then I'm going to say, guess what? I don't know. If you can't handle that, then we're going to have to get rid of it because we don't allow that in our home. Now, I know somebody says, well, you can't tell your parents what to do. If they're living in my home, I will. Because it's my household. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And I'm not going to allow them to watch pornography in their bedroom while I turn around and tell my children, it's not right to look at that smut. Somebody says, well, you know, I don't think you can do that. Well, then don't do it. But let me tell you something. Biblically, I have the authority to do so from God. That's my household. Dad's bringing in a bottle of wine or liquor. Yes, sir. I'm going to say, listen, we don't do that in this home. Amen. We don't permit that here. Yeah. We've got little Johnny over here, and he's watching, and I don't want that to influence you. Now, if I'm living in their house, and Dad says, well, I drink a shot of liquor every night. Then I say, you do whatever you want. That's your business. It's your home. That's it. Yes, sir. I'm not going to tell you how to live in your home. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I'm going to do what you tell me I need to do to comply with your rules and standard. I won't do anything wrong because I'll step out the door if you demand me to do something wrong. I mean, I'm not going to submit my family to that. But if I needed your help right now and I'm under your roof, then guess what? You rule your house the way you rule. When I get mine, I'll rule it the way God tells me to rule mine. That's it. Yes, sir. I'll tell people how to live unless they're in my household, unless they're my children. Now, I don't have the right to tell my kids how to live now. That's right. Yes. They're, not under my, they're not under my roof. That's it. They're not in my household anymore. They have their own households. Amen. I have one child in my home. That's it. He's in my household. Outside of him, I have, I have no responsibility to these kids in the, that sense. 
I can't tell them, you, hey, don't you watch that. You're not allowed to watch that kind of movie. We didn't watch it when you were growing up. You ain't allowed to watch it now. And he said, Dad, whatever. <laughs> and I go, I, I would never say that to him to begin with. I, if I'm concerned, I may go to him and say, Son, I'm, listen, I'm a little concerned about some of the things you've been watching. He says, Dad, well, honestly, that's your business. You worry about you, I'll worry about me. I say, okay, well, you're fired, but then we'll move on. <laughs> but anyway, <clears throat> but, you know, outside of that... <laughs> So anyway, we see this. Now, and just real quick, I'm going I'm to finish this up real fast because we need to move on. But being the protector is not just limited to the physical. And, and I think, especially as men, we ought to be protecting our... Listen, I've watched women that have come to the aid of their children. I could tell you story after story of, of how women have done that, including my own mother, to protect her own children. Listen, don't, don't you dare back a woman, a mother, in a corner. She's going to protect her kids. And you know what, Dad? We ought to be protecting our family physically. I understand all that. But we need to understand that we're to protect our wife and family from spiritual pitfalls that exist as well. We must guard them from false doctrine and the world. We must keep the home pure and free from dangerous practices that will lead the family astray. We need to police bad habits such as smoking and drinking and drugs and anything else that is ungodly and unprofitable. We can't allow it to go on when we know it's going on. We can't just act like it doesn't exist. We are the protectors. Finally, we must establish standards, standards for television watching, standards for Internet use, standard for phone access, standard for social media. We even need to set standards for dress. We need to do those things. Protect your home and family from evil influences. It's so important. That is what God knew Abraham would do. He knew Abraham would command his children and household after him. We need to make sure God knows that about us. Father, we come to you. We thank you again, Lord, for the privilege that we've had to gather today. And Lord... I don't know, Lord. I, I'm not trying to be Mr. Tough Guy here, Lord. I'm just, 